Hey, welcome back to the Entrepreneurs Podcast, the podcast for and by female entrepreneurs in college. Today, we are delighted to have on Inez, co-founder at Skylight, a firm focused on heightening talent sustainability in large companies by reducing burnout and improving engagement. Inez desires to reinvent workspaces, making them a source rather than a depleter of energy. She started her journey studying economics and government at the London School of Economics, then worked at McKinsey New Ventures until she got her MBA from Stanford. At Stanford, she connected with her professor and fellow entrepreneur Leah, PhD MSW, whom she ended up co-founding Skylight with. Join us as we dive in with Inez about how she continued to question the status quo, finding a founder that complements your skill sets, and actionable steps about preventing long-term burnout. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Inez, and welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Great. So we always like to start off by asking our guests, what is something that you're excited about when you wake up in the morning? Ooh, um, when I wake up, I think one of the things that gets me the most excited is working with my co-founder, who's also a female founder. Uh, she's actually 12 years my senior, um, and she was my professor at Stanford. Uh, and so working with her has been a real blessing. And knowing that it's kind of us against the world is just such a wonderful way to um, work together and, and to go through life. Like, I think it's can be very lonely to be an entrepreneur. So having that and knowing we have each other's backs is a huge part of it. Yeah, for sure. How do you have any advice for like co-founding companies? I know a lot of times like it's easy to do like like one person, but how do you manage that collaboration? Yeah, so you know it's interesting. Um when I was in um in undergrad, I actually founded a company with another friend of mine, and I had such a phenomenal experience with him building out that company that um, I just promised myself I would never, ever start a company on my own because it's just the the dynamic of like bringing each other up. There's always like things that happen and you have to be able to bring the other person back up again. Um, and so for me, that was a very important component. Um, I would say, you know, the way that we operate to make it work between my co-founder Leah and I is, you know, what we call compassionate candor. Like we always express where we're at um, and we don't let it fester, um, but always with statement of intention and making it clear that we want what's best for the business. And so we always bring it back to like, the reason I'm telling you this is because I feel that X or Y may be harming the business and what we're trying to build or the impact we're trying to have. And so bringing it always back to like the intention behind it um, is really, really important. I think the second thing is um, for us, we did a lot of exercise at the beginning of our co-founder relationship around, do we have aligned values or not? Um, do we have a similar vision for the business or not? Um, do we have complementary skills or not? And I think that's a very, very important important piece here is to do those conversations very, very early on. And then I think the third thing is like, just knowing where you're good and where you're not good. Like, I think, you know, there's a couple of things where like Leah is just like masterful and I'm just not as good. I'm just, I just know I'm not as good at it. Um, and so, so for example, things like she's incredible in terms of PR and like in terms of um, speaking to the science of what we're doing. And so when, when it comes to that, a lot of the times I'll let her take the helm, right? Just like she'll let me take the helm in the areas that she feels, you know, I'm very, very good at. So for example, operationalizing strategy, right? And like going 
into the details of like, how are we going to make this work, right? And so I think knowing your strengths and knowing, therefore, what your best swim lane is, is a very, very important component of being in a good co-founder relationship. Thank you so much for that thorough answer. I think sometimes we get very like, oh, pick a founder that's like you, but I really appreciate the application of that. Particularly, I liked how you said the action point, I'm telling you this because it's best for our business, because I think sometimes people think it's like a personal offense mm-hmm. or it's something they're taking like totally. to their like personality, which is totally not the case. So let's just say you are looking for this amazing co-founder. What is something that's like the number one thing you look for and what's the number one deal breaker? Mm. I would say the number one thing to look for is um, aligned values. Um, So, you know, one of the things actually that Cyril, my friend, who's also founder, suggested that we do um, at the beginning of our relationship was there were kind of a, a series of six things that you could optimize for in a business, whether it was like growth, learning, um, profitability, uh, impact, et cetera. And essentially um, he, uh, he had suggested that we both order them in order from like most important to least important. And I think then compare our lists. Um, And I thought that was very practical advice. And we actually did that exercise when we first started and we had almost exactly the same lists, like the same order. Um, And so I think making clear, like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you going to choose the hardest job in the world or one of the hardest jobs in the world? are we doing it for the same reasons? And I think if you're not doing it for the same reasons, it can still work, but I think you need to be very, very, very candid about when you're optimizing for what and when, um, but ideally you would have a very aligned list. So that's, I think one way you know that I would say uh, to look for a co-founder. I think in terms of you know big red flags, um, I would say, <laughs> so we did this other thing, which I thought worked out really well. Um, and I had done it once before. I would say spend like a lot of time up front together, like a lot and try to be in each other's lives, personal and otherwise. And if you get annoyed by like hour 12 or 15 of being with that person, like that's a big red flag to me. Um, we ended up spending, I think it was like 72 hours together, pretty much straight. Um, I flew over to LA and actually stayed in her house. Like I barely like knew her outside of having like having had her as a professor. And she literally had me stay in in her house because we were trying to like not spend money. And so like I saw her from like 8 a.m. to like 10 p.m. every day for three days. And it was just like, yeah, like we would just be in it for so many hours and I would still be like, I love this. Like, this is what I want. And so I think if you, you know, I think if you don't feel like that after, you know, 12, 15 hours, you're like, eh, I'm getting a little annoyed. Like probably you're, this is going to be a bit of a difficult relationship. So time is a very good uh, indicator. I would say time spent together. Yeah, for sure. I feel like before I start any business, I'm going to try to live with them for a week and see how it goes. Yeah, Um, you learn a lot. Yeah. Shifting gears slightly, we would love to hear more about like your entrepreneurial journey for our audience who may not know. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, when I, um, the the funny thing is that I think I, I dipped into entrepreneurship 
before even realizing that it was entrepreneurship, which I think is really different, I think, to most people. Um, when I was in high school, entrepreneurship was not that big of a thing, um, but I always felt like I wanted to do things differently and I didn't like accepting the status quo, um, which I think is usually a good indicator that you make a, you know, a, an entrepreneur in terms of like, if you like to challenge status, the status quo. Um, so I ended up starting an organization that's still in effect today, um, which is called the Global Issues Network. I was one of the student founders of it. Um, this was in high school. And Wait, no I, way. Global, yeah. I, I was part of Jin, yeah, in HIS. We um, founded the club there. It's, it's such a cool organization. I love it. Yeah. So yeah, I was like one of the founding students of that. Um, and was like really excited about the potential behind it. Um, and now it's, as you know, it's still alive and well and it's spread across, you know, so many different schools. Um, and I actually, you know, at this point I'm not involved anymore, but um, it's, it, that was kind of my first foray into it. And so I was probably spending, I don't know, somewhere between like eight or 12 hours a week on global issues at some point in high school um, and a week. And it was just, you know, a lot of it, a lot of time at, at that point in my life because I was doing so many other things and had to focus on studies, but like ended up doing something very similar when I was in college, um, when I started this company, the student initiative. Um, and it was, you know, very much again, the same thing of like, I love doing this. I love rethinking the status quo there. It was more a company around um, essentially reducing the or creating a marketplace of um, social sector jobs for high potential students, uh, because there were a lot of social organizations that were looking for talented people and a lot of like high potential students who were looking for jobs in the social sector and somehow they weren't finding each other. And so anyway, ended up building that, loved it, and then took a detour in consulting for a while. But I knew kind of, I wanted to come back to entrepreneurship. Um, that was kind of something that I kind of knew instinctively um, and I think I'd love doing early on in my life. Um, I ended up only coming back to it almost like, what is it, eight years later or so. Um, interestingly, because I ended up in a bad visa situation in the US and like actually couldn't do anything, couldn't work. And I was like, well, I could either volunteer or I could start working on my own company. And it was interesting. I think being forced into it was actually really, it was a good forcing mechanism to be like, okay, like you have, like you've always said you wanted to do this. The only reason that you would not start a company right now is because like you're afraid of something. And that realization of like, I, I would only not do it because of fear was very important um, because I was like, I don't wanna be in a situation where my grandkids asked me like, why didn't you start that company when you were whatever, 2029? 20, and I would have to answer them like, because I was afraid. And I was like, that is not an okay answer. <laughs> That is not an acceptable answer. And so that's that's what happened. And so, you know, um, I had been like thinking about this idea for a while after leaving McKinsey because I'd seen so much burnout um, that I was like, this is not, you know, there has to be an alternative to how we work. Um, and I do think that, you know, even a, a McKinsey, which is where I was working, um, had not figured it out, didn't have the tools to uh, figure out burnout issues. And so ended up kind of co-founding this company with Leah on this premise of like, how do we rethink the workplace and reduce burnout? Um, and we in particular decided to focus on teams um, as one of the kind of units of change. So that's like kind of my entrepreneurial journey. Um, I think it's, everyone has a different story and, and different meaning attached to entrepreneurship. I think for me, I've known for a 
while that I wanted to be my own boss. And I really enjoyed, as I said, questioning the status quo. Um, but, you know, I think everyone comes about it in different ways. Wow. I think there were so many gems in what you said there, and I don't really know where to begin, but some things that stuck out to me was about that impending thought. That's like, if you don't do it now, it's because you were scared. Like, what am I going to do? Like you only live once, just go for it. I really, really resonate with that. Um, but I want to learn more about Skylight. Um, I think it's an incredible, incredible initiative about burnout, even especially now with COVID. I actually just read an article this morning in The Economist about like Zoom burnout and Zoom fatigue, how actually women have a higher rate of Zoom fatigue than men do, which I thought was fascinating. I would love to hear about how you kind of started this, what brought you to this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm glad to hear that you yourself are reading about this and, you know, I think it starts at, you know, the age that you guys are at, which is like, that is when we start forming our ideas about what makes us valuable as human beings, right? And I think for a long time, there's been this association, especially I would say, you know, in the US and um, in East Asian cultures um, around like, working hard is like the key to success, but also to value um, of like self-value. Um, and I think that's something that is very hard to undo. Um, and it starts, you know, as early as, you know, uh, when we're kids. Um, the, the reason that, you know, I got involved in this is really because, as I mentioned, like I was in very high stress environments myself. Um, and in my last job, before I started this, you know, I was at McKinsey, I was seeing people burnout around me all the time. And it was very concerning to me that that was happening in an organization that was so um, thoughtful and well-organized and well-oiled and that we were still battling this issue. Um, and so I ended up um, really kind of looking into this internally first and, and building out a culture team at first to try and address it, that didn't work. Um, and I realized that like, we didn't have the tools to deal with this. And a big part of it was because, you know, we've been trying to fix burnout by applying traditional mental health to, to it, um, usually at the individual level. Um, so saying, oh, you know, let's, let's use typical mental health solutions to address it. But by doing that, we're actually ignoring the fact that, you know, what leads, leads people to burnout is not just their own self, um, self coping or their strategies for support that fail. It's because of the environments in which they work and operate. And so that realization was, you know, if we're using an individual solution to tackle a problem, that's a lot more than individual, we're actually like missing a good part of the issue. And so that's really what got me to decide to start this was like, we need to move beyond traditional mental health solutions that focus only on the individual if we're serious about tackling burnout. And so I ended up, you know, talking with Leah, who had been in the mental health space for 20 years um, at the individual level, and she had come to the same conclusion. She basically told me, you know, I've, I've been in this space for 20 years, and I can tell you, like, we're still very, very far from having the impact we want to have because we're just focusing on the individual. And so we decided to start Skylight on the premise that in order to address burnout and really rethink mental health at work, we're going to need to complement the existing mental health landscape with a team-based solution that really equips teams to prevent burnout and to build resilience. And that that environment is both where we spend most time 
is most agile and allows for social accountability, which is one of the biggest reasons why people fail to change their behaviors. So it's kind of like a perfect mix of all of those ingredients. So that's essentially what we do today. We focus on empowering and equipping teams to prevent burnout through practical tools, behavior change, and coaching. Yeah, for sure. And as someone who worked a lot in high school of trying to build a culture around like mental health. So I started like the wellness board in high school, like a lot of the resources available are really just sleep more or general things that like, don't really, yeah, Yeah. like don't, (laughs) don't really change the culture. And I think that by like looking at it as like a team dynamic, like I haven't really thought about that. Um, So I guess like shifting gears slightly, like How do you see your work at Skylight affecting college and high school students? Mm, That's an excellent uh, question. So it's interesting because one of the um, companies or organizations we were talking to was a business school that was looking to actually address issues of burnout in the student population. Um, It does require a a slightly different approach because the stressors are a bit different. Um, But I do think that there is a lot of uh, translatable material there around how we can support students with mental health issues um, and not taking a purely individually based approach, right? And so um, actually we are investigating right now, like what are the parts that would translate to a student population and what are the parts that would not? Um, And what we found is actually grouping, putting students in groups that hold each other accountable to mental health and support good behaviors is actually something that we can definitely do. Um, of course, you know, the there's elements around like, you know, rewards, which is a very big thing in, in the workplace, which doesn't really apply as much in the student context, but, um, you know, we can still adapt it. Students at the end of the day, part of why they burn out is because there's so much pressure to perform, right? And so what we're rewarding is a lot of the times like hard work, um, hustle, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, it, the danger is that we're not, we're not necessarily rewarding behaviors of creativity, of mutual support and community, which are very important, if not equally important as those other components. Um, so I think it's hundred percent, you know, not hundred percent, but it's maybe 90% applicable um, to student populations. And I think there is a need to move away from individually based solutions, as we can see from the fact that a lot of mental health support programs in universities and high schools, you know, are not working. Um, In fact, very sadly, um, one of the institutions that was experimenting the most with this was Palo Alto High School, which is just across from the Stanford campus, which is where, um, which is where I went to, to grad school. And, you know, they have one of the highest suicide rates in the country in that high school. Um, And a big part of it is because, you know, there's so much pressure because they're literally across the Stanford campus. Um, And so, you know, thinking about that and the fact that those initial individually only based solutions are not working completely is going to be a very like admitting that and working towards more kind of um, pod based models I think it's going to be essential yeah for sure and also it's more than just within a school it's definitely like ultra thing I know in Hong Kong like our suicide rates at the like education level is like extremely high because people just face so much pressure Um, You mentioned earlier this idea of like reward systems um, and like how like right now we reward like hard work and like kind of more like things that could potentially lead to burnout. Um, What would like rewarding based on like, I guess, things that prioritize well-being look like? Mm. 
And I want to be clear, by the way, you know, I think rewarding hard work is, is not a bad thing necessarily, as long as we're rewarding other things as well and realizing that, you know, they are complementary to each other. Um, you know, I think rewarding things that are linked to well-being. Um, for instance, one of the things that um, we look at when we work with teams is um, we look at, you know, your overall resilience score as a team. And so we look at essentially 33 different risk factors that have to do with, you know, how do you, how does your team um, communicate and collaborate? How do you think about um, like your own sense of self-worth? Um, how do you think about um, what's another good example, uh, fairness in your team, distribution of work, right? Making sure that the work that people do is meaningful and has purpose. Um, and so I think rewarding teams and team managers in this case um, for that score and for like, how do we think about the other components that ensure that we can actually in, in some, ironically, in some cases work longer, right? Um, work harder and, and longer is very, very important. You know, one of the biggest, I think, mis, misunderstandings that I have to go through with CEOs that I talk to is like, no, we're not saying that your people need to work less. In fact, there's like 30 other levers that you can pull before you think about reducing number of hours. And that will actually, in some cases, mean that people will go to work with more meaning, more sense of connection and belonging, and a lot more energy. And so I think it's, it's you know, at the end of the day, rewarding other behaviors actually, ironically, can help people to work longer or better. Um, and I think that's like, that's the irony of this whole thing. Um, so... That's wonderful. Really, thank you so much. I think these this idea of having team pod building, like burnout prevention is much more helpful than an individual because we're living in interdependent society. It's not like we're all living our individual pods, like our pods are people. but unfortunately, I think in the past year, we all know that we haven't really been in our pods. We've been very individualized. And because of that, I think people have been, I can speak for myself and for my peers, experiencing burnout in a really increased rate. This wake up grind straight to the Zoom, see no one, Zoom in, Zoom out. It's, it's, it's very draining, especially for university students who are excited to be on campus, go to clubs, go to classes. And it's just you're sitting at your dorm or you're sitting in your room being on Zoom. So unfortunately, I'm hearing from a lot of my friends around the world at university and they already feel this burnout. They're already at their wits. So what advice or what sort of practical steps do you think someone can take now that they're already in the burnout, they already feel it? How can they get back on the grind or not even, I don't even like to use the word grind. How can they get back in the flow? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually think that last piece of what you said is really key of like getting out of the grind and into the flow. Like, I actually think that's a really big um, mindset shift, um, but I'll get into how to do that in a second. So, you know, one of the main things that we advise people is around guardrails. So part of why people are burning out more than ever right now is because there are no more guardrails, right? Like beforehand, you know, you would have these transition moments in life between like work and non-work moments, right? So for example, if we take a student going to class, you might like walk to your class, right? And then when your class is done, you would walk back from class, right? And so those moments would be moments where you would, your brain would literally switch gears, even in terms of how the blood flow would be flowing in your brain, it would literally change. Now that's not happening, right? Like you're on your computer, you close Zoom, you open email, or you open whatever chat you're having with your friends, and literally nothing has changed. And you're using exactly the same parts of your brain. Um, 
And so one of the big things that we encourage individuals and you know pods of students to do together is to actually think about how do you create a transition ritual for yourself? Um, so for instance, right? Like for my, for me personally in the morning, I do two things. One, I do 15 minutes of yoga, just 10, 15 minutes, nothing, nothing more. Um, and I also do a gratitude journal while listening to a specific song. Um, now, you know, that works for me specifically. Everyone has their own version of this, right? Um, and I also do, I call it my exit song. I have a song that I listen to every night when I finish work. Like, I know that sounds stupid, but it that. actually works. Not the reason <laughs> that, no, but it, the reason it works is because your brain likes to create patterns, right? And so the more you can create patterns of behavior that help your brain understand, like I'm transitioning, I'm moving away from this is work, this is non-work. So transitions are key and creating rituals around them are, is very, very important. So that's advice number one. Advice number two is, you know, very aligned to our thesis, which is, you know, don't do this alone. It's very, very hard to self-diagnose burnout, extremely difficult. Um, and so actually having pods of between three to five, not more um, students who are kind of experiencing this together and having a regular meeting where you can be vulnerable, um, I think is very, very powerful. And I think one of the ways that we've started doing this with um, our customers that I think is very powerful is actually to have um, a, what we call a, like, a, if you knew me well moment to start this off. And this kind of, if, if you knew me well, I, the idea is like each person adds on to the person before them about something that they're experiencing. And, and if you knew me well, you would know that right now I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety because I don't know if I'm going to succeed in college. And then I don't know what it means for me afterwards. Um, if you knew me well, you would know that I'm not focused on work right now because my mother is suffering. Right. So like, and just kind of building on each other and you realize just the pain in the room. And I think a big part of of it is naming the pain in the room and having a group of people to support you in holding that together. So that's the second thing we advise. And then the third thing, which I think is, um, you know, I think is, is a deeper, more um, like start from scratch kind of approach is really understanding where, um, what is a word that you want to embody this year? Um, and the reason for that is like, I think a lot of people get hung up on resolutions and, you know, the problem is resolutions add more stress in some ways to what people are already feeling, so which is kind of stupid um, and kind of frustrating. And so, you know, I think one of the, one of the things that I've found is that having more of a direction rather than an exact thing that you are trying to do is actually more helpful. So for example, what is a word that you want to embody more of in this year? So for example, for me this year, it was belief, right? Like I want to believe more in myself, believe more in like the ability for us as a human race to get over climate change over like the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, and being belief driven, right? So, but that could be anything. It could be dignity. It could be courage, being bold, whatever it is, right? And having that be your red line and having that pot of people I mentioned before, keep you accountable to it. So those are some of the kind of practical things I'd advise. There's a lot more there. Um, and I'm happy to provide them in like a double click for your audience, if that makes sense. Yeah, that would be great. And actually on your second point of like the, if you knew me well, um, that's actually become like kind of a tradition at Princeton when you're, when we're in orientation, all of us sit in groups. Well, this year it was on Zoom, but we all do like, if you knew me well, 
you would know this about me. And it's been a really great opportunity to like connect with students on a deeper level. Um, On a slightly lighter note, we would love to know which song you play at the end of your day. (laughs) So at the end of the day, I play this song. Um, it's actually funny because it has in and, in and of itself um, kind of this idea of a, of a line. It's called uh, Red Line by Izo Fitze, um, who's like Ooh. a totally non, non-known artist. Um, but she has this like wonderful raspy voice and she's just like, it's very full the way that she, that she sings. Um, so I love it. It's just like no, no excuses, no, no bashfulness, um, which is what I love about it. Um, and I like this idea of like the red line, which is why yeah. I play it. Yeah. Like, there's line and then like before and after. Totally. Um, and yeah, we didn't even touch on this, but I think that many entrepreneurs feel like they don't have this nine to five strict consulting job, whatever that many like corporate jobs have. It's like, oh, work can go forever. It never finishes. So I really respect and commend you for having that red line with work and being able to kind of log off literally and figuratively from your day and from the life. Um, yeah. So just as we continue to wrap up, we kind of want to ask you a few questions and just to go back on gratitude. So I'm very respectful that you do your gratitude journal, both of us do gratitude journals too. Wayland's done a ton of work with gratitude in particular, um, but we'd love to know what is something that you're grateful for today? Oh, let's see. I'm going to open my, my journal actually. Oh, amazing. I love that. Amazing. Um, I wrote, um, my, my sister just moved um, to New Zealand with her fiance and mm. they just wrote us a message this morning saying that they had gotten in safely. So I said that I was That's grateful beautiful. for the fact that they had made it safely and that a new adventure was awaiting them. So New Zealand's um, amazing. They're going to thrive. It's amazing. They're going to love it. Not They're really going to love it. Another planet. I know. <laughs> I know. Hopefully you can go visit them soon. Yeah, it's a good excuse yeah. to go now. Exactly. And then our next question we love to ask our guests is what is one thing that you loved about yourself today? Ooh, what is one thing I loved about myself today? Ooh, um, you know, I reviewed a document, a series of documents this morning, and I loved the fact that I am good at seeing connections that other people don't always see. Um, That is one of my... I wouldn't say superpowers, but it is one of the things I do very well. That's awesome. And on the note of superpowers, super women, super people, what does that mean to you to be an entrepreneur? Huh. I think to be an entrepreneur is to believe in the impossible. Um, One of the rephrases I heard is, you know, imagine that impossible was I apostrophe M possible I am possible believing that you know what is impossible is actually possible there's this great phrase um, that I heard once which is like they didn't know it was impossible so they did it again I think that's a little bit of like what an entrepreneur is you have to be a little bit crazy you have to believe it's possible no I think you have to be a lot crazy I disagree you gotta be a lot crazy (laughs) (laughs) so for our audience who want to continue to follow you on your journey and you know, follow your great advice, where can they find you? Yeah. So they can always um, email me. Um, I'll be at Inez at skylight.io. Um, or you can also follow Skylight um, on LinkedIn and soon on Instagram. We love that. Thank you so much for all of the advice you gave on this podcast. And 
all your talk about burnout, especially within how we can solve that within group settings. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today. We hoped you learned a lot and got some inspiration from Inez. Be sure to check out our past and future episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. To stay updated with what's going on in the Entrepreneurs Podcast Network, join our community on Instagram, LinkedIn, and feel free to reach out to us to share an entrepreneurial journey of yours or someone you know.